The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Marcus, and welcome to another episode of Toilet Side Wrestling Talk. I am very, 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 I can't stress or say um, enough varies, excited about my guest today. Flashback to 1986. A young Brad, same size ears, same size nose, was in a Toys R Us in my hometown, and I was standing at the end cap where all the WWF LJN figures were. Now, I had a few already. I had gotten Hulk Hogan and Superfly Jimmy Snuka and uh, Andre the Giant, um, for, you know, as as gifts. This was the first time I was able to pick something out. So for Hanukkah, my mom says, pick one wrestling figure. And it turns out I picked my guest for today. Um, she then took the present from me and kept it for me for from me for about three weeks. But I used to sneak into her closet and just sit there and just stare at this wrestling figure. Um, so I am very, very excited to now be sp- sitting down and speaking with him. My guest hails from Minnesota, and he began his in-ring career in 1972. Gained prominence all over the world, but especially in the AWA as well as the WWF. So very excited. Without further ado. Introducing first, from White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Weighing 230 pounds, one half of the killer bees, jumping Jim Brunzel. sequence <laughs> oh, very good brad that was a heck of a sequence i haven't seen that in a long time oh great great Brett um, was a hell of a guy hell of a worker too did you guys have a close relationship with uh, him and anvil well i think <clears throat> by far brett was a lot easier to work with Anvil. the anvil was like a, a bull moose <laughs> oh my <laughs> god was, i, I imagine was, you know he was like five nine and a half and and 275 and really quick and really strong, but he he uh, he was a little temperamental in the ring, so it made it a little difficult. But we had some great matches with the Hearts. Yeah, some amazing ones. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's a real treat for me. Um, I really appreciate it, and I will make this as painless as possible. Um, okay. No one's ever gotten hurt after one of my um, interviews. So I, I hope. I um, hope not. <laughs> okay. So completely randomly, the other night I was showing my son. Um, land of a thousand dances sure did was that fun you know it was sort of really out of the ordinary because um vince had a thing you know with rock and wrestling and cindy lopper and um i can't remember the other guy's name um shoot but uh they had more or less uh, got in touch with Vince and they decided to do something. So we were at a downtown New York City um, uh, studio and we did this. And then, uh, of course, there was two or three single songs out of there. And I, I think Vince had one and Hillbilly Jim had one and Jimmy Hart. And it was sort of fun, you know. Um, uh-huh. You know, it was just sort of a, a 
well, it, it was sort of a, a, a way different than what we were used to. Did you, know, you have I'm, any choice? No. <laughs> well, you know, everybody wanted to be involved because it was going to be a national deal. So, yeah, you know, people thought, well, you know, we're going to go with it, you know. Because uh, I, when I was watching it, like I was thinking, like, God, that must have been a really long day. It was. It was more than one day, too. Oh, really? Oh, God, yeah. It was a couple of days, you know. I mean, and then we had a, a deal at, um, God, it was Donald Trump's deal. Uh, his um, casino in, in Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. And we had a WrestleMania there. And then they had uh, a couple of the songs they did on a stage there. And I know Vince did the stand back or whatever. Yes, that's right. I remember don't, that. Don't mess with me. And uh, yeah. he could play that again today. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Where, where in Minnesota did you grow up? I grew up in St. Paul. Well, actually White Bear Lake, Minnesota, which is uh, 10 miles North of St. Paul. My mom and dad were both from St. Paul. My dad was a Navy aviator. He was a pilot. Wow. So, so we were all over the country. I mean, I lived in the um, Marshall Islands when I was six years old in a, a little atoll called Kwajalein for a year. And then I lived in California. I lived in Kansas City. Uh, I lived in Olathe, Kansas. And I lived uh, in Tennessee. And then finally, my dad retired. And we moved back to White Bear and um, I've been, well, White Bear, I live in Vadnais Heights, which is right next to White Bear. And I've been here off and on other than my, you know, trip to uh, North Carolina in 1979. I was there for about 18 months. Uh -huh. And then when I worked for New York, you know, I stayed right here in Minnesota. Oh, so, wow. Did, uh, did you have siblings? I had an older sister. So did, did moving around like that, was that, was that hard? Like as a kid? Well, I remember going to three schools in one month in California. So it was, it was fairly hard, but, um, you know, I think we got along pretty well and my mom and dad did a real good job. My mom did a wonderful job because my dad was, you know, flying here and flying there yeah. and coming back. But, uh, you know, we survived and, um, uh, my mom instilled, a. uh, you know, she was a very religious person and um, she led us on a straight and narrow and, and we didn't veer off. Oh, so did, um, did you, your dad would be away for what, would he be away for like months at a time ever? Yeah, he was, he was on a, um, let's see, aircraft carrier mm -hmm. and he was there for six months. Is the only six. way to communicate with him would, was through like mail? Yep. Um, and did did you like did your dad like miss were you athletic as a kid? I'll get back to what I was about to ask. Was he athletic, my dad? You or, oh me. Oh god, yes. I you know, my I, I told my dad we lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and I saw Elvis Presley. Oh, and I told my dad, I says, Dad, I want you to go out, I want to go out and get a guitar. And I said, I want to be just like Elvis Presley. Oh, and he went out to a music store and got me an accordion. So he wanted. What was to be, the what was the thing? Because <laughs> they were big fans of Myron Florin of oh. uh, Lawrence Welk. So I played this on accordion for about four or five weeks, and I said, "The heck with it." So then he gave me a football, and then I turned all my you know energies towards you know football and basketball and baseball and track, and that's what I did. I mean, that was my that was my sole uh, driving force from the time I was eight years old until I was 22. And Oh God. And did, did your dad, was he able to come to any of your like games? I, he, he, he was, when he re retired, he was able to see me in high school, which was really good because yeah, uh, yeah. he went to all the football games, all the basketball games, all my track meets, you know? And, and then when I played at the university of Minnesota, he was at all the football games. So it was, you know, it was very rewarding for him you know, to see his son, you know, uh, you know, capture his dreams. How, how far from uh, where you were living at the time to um, uh, Minnesota uh, University? Yep. 12 miles. Oh God, that's nothing. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you live at home? Uh, no, uh, my freshman year, I lived in the dorm 
And uh-huh. then, uh, because all the freshmen had to, you know, if you were on the football team, you had to live on the dorm. And then um, when uh, I was a sophomore, uh, I became uh, interested in a fraternity. So I joined this fraternity, which was the Beta Theta Pi, and they, they had about 16 football players on it. So it was, um, it was quite an experience being there my sophomore and junior and senior year. It's funny because just last week, uh, there was about 10 of us that got together from the beta house, you know, and I hadn't seen some of those guys in almost 50 years. Oh, wow. Oh, my yeah. dad just recently had a reunion with his uh, fraternity brothers. Um, was it, Were there people that you hadn't talked to since you were in school? Yeah, there was probably, uh, there was 10 guys there and I bet eight of them I hadn't talked to in 40, 45 years. Because I, I was gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was gone. You know, everybody takes off and they do their own thing and they're doing this. And we had architectures, we had doctors, we had dentists, you know, we had morticians. And then I was a, a pro wrestler. So I really, I, I really didn't fit into the, uh, you know, group very well, but we had a, we had a good time. Did you, do you guys like immediately go back to that place, you know, like in your minds uh, when oh, sure. you were in college? Yeah. Oh, that must yeah. be amazing. Ah, if I go back to college again, I'll join a fraternity. So <laughs> did you, um, when did pro wrestling kind of enter your orbit? Well, if, like I said this before, Brad, if somebody would have asked me at 18 years old, if I would have had a 28 year career being a pro wrestler, I would have said, you crazy? Because my mom and dad wouldn't let me watch wrestling. Oh. They said it was fake. You know, and um, so what had happened, uh, Greg Gagne was a teammate of mine mm-hmm. at the University of Minnesota. We were both walk-on freshmen. So we weren't, we didn't get a scholarship. So we walked on. He was a quarterback and I was a ride, wide receiver. And we ca- became very good together and became really good friends. And Greg realized the sophomore year he wasn't going to play quarterback. So he transferred to Wyoming and I stayed at Minnesota. Then after... I had, I played one year semi-pro and then I had a, a tryout, a brief tryout with the Washington Redskins in 1972. It didn't make it. So I came back home. I was going to uh, get my degree. I had 28 de- uh, credits left. Okay. And then Greg called me and said, Hey, my dad's having a wrestling camp. Ken Patera is just coming back from the Olympics. We're going to have Bob Bruggers, who was an NFL player and a former uh, great University of Minnesota athlete, Kazro Vaziri. And then we got this heavyweight wrestling champ, private school from Wisconsin. His name is Rick Flair. So we. Had we you all, heard of any of these, uh, those wrestlers at I, that point in your life? I heard of Bruggers and then I heard of uh, Patera because he was the world's yeah. man, you know, uh-huh. but I didn't hear, you know, Kazro Vaziri was from Iran and he was like 191 pounds and, oh, uh, you know, it, it just, so we did this uh, training camp for six weeks. It was six days a week and it was six hours a day. And Billy Robinson, who was the British Empire champion, yep. used to beat the shit out of us, honest to God. I mean, we, <laughs> oh, he'd get us on. And submit, he, is, he was big on submission holds. So he could grab you any way and, you know, make you pat, tap out and stuff like that. And did so, they worry? Did like the tra- like the trainer like Billy like does he worry about injuring this the students at all? I don't think so. I think okay. he was I think he was a little bit of a sadist at heart, and <laughs> so if he could get somebody to tap out and squeal, it it, it brightened his ego a little sure. bit. Sure, but, but he never really you know hurt anybody real bad. I mean, he he gave him some you know they could feel that you know what he was doing hurt, and and sure. and you would have to submit if that was the case in the ring. Did at this point, are your parents aware of what's going on? You know, (laughs) well, my parents were just happy that I was doing something. Sure, sure. Hopefully, pay off. I had about a $2,900 college debt after I had my full scholarship for my junior and senior year. What I did was I I took out loans so I could go on um, spring breaks. (laughs) So I I went to California, I went to Florida, and I went to the Bahamas. (laughs) <laughs> Does the bank know what, like when you go to apply for a loan? No, they, no. Don't, okay. care. they don't care as long as your dad or mom will co-sign. They don't care because oh. they know they know they're going to get the money because I was uh, under I, 21. I'm sorry. This is this is a complete side thing. I was just wondering. So your junior and senior year, did you guys beat Wisconsin? 
we beat him my sophomore and junior year, and then we got beat my senior year. Okay, and, I went to Wisconsin, so I was just okay. I, well, when I hear was, Minnesota, I always it was think funny. My senior year, um, I caught the last three passes of the game against Wisconsin, and I had this pass. It was like a, a twelve-yard hook. I caught the ball. Uh-huh. And I saw the defensive back, so I ran a little bit, and then I faked to the right and went to the left, and I stepped out of bounds. Oh, no, geez. <laughs> so they went, and that was the end of the game. Oh, God. And, and, and my line coach came up to me, and he says, he says nice going, Bruns. <laughs> but that's the way it goes. You know? Yeah, just, exactly. It's his, it's part of yeah. history. Yeah. Um. Okay, so did you have to did you have to pay to go to Vern's camp? Well, here's the deal. We were – told that somewhere down the line he was going to ask us to you know to pay here's the deal he after all of us made you know became pro wrestlers and started wrestling he made us sign this contract that we would give him 10 percent of our gross income for five years okay so the first five years of wrestling we had to pay 10 percent well, it's funny because everybody else went uh-huh. out of the I was the only one that stuck in Minnesota. And then I wound up, you know, being Greg's partner. Yeah. For you know, one time five years and the last time five years. So I wound up paying uh about seventy nine thousand dollars to Vern. Oh my you know, god. To, to become a pro wrestler. Wow. But they, but it was worth it, obviously. Well, it was. You know, you, you know, uh, Brad, you just don't realize, you know, what you're doing when you're doing it, especially when you're young mm-hmm. and you're making a good living and you're doing something athletic and you're, you know, you're getting some ink and people are mm-hmm. recognizing you. So it's all part of the deal. You know, it's all part of the package, you know. But I, now, <laughs> yeah. I have to, you know, I'm 73. I've had 11 surgeries, both shoulders replaced, both knees replaced, the hip replaced. Okay. I, I had elbow nerve uh, rejoined because my hand wow. was numb. So, you know, it's just, I mean, all the guys. I mean, I was with Brian Blair, my partner. Yeah, and yeah. He, and he used to be 5'11". Now he's 5'8 and a half because he's had four surgeries on his back. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I know what did um as you can see, do, do you remember like the first like paycheck you got where yep. you didn't have to put any money? Yeah, I got a check. I worked three times and that first week and I made six hundred and fifty bucks. Oh wow. Yeah, and that was Back very then, good. Right? Yeah, you know, I was really surprised. And then after about oh six or seven, eight months, they Vern decided to send me to Kansas City, mm-hmm. where Bob Geigel and Pat O'Connor were the promoters. Okay, and, and we used <laughs> and we used to work seven days a week, and you'd wrestle twice a night. I, I'd come out in the opening match, and then come back in a tag match. And I remember my second or third day there, they came with this little envelope, and they threw it to me. The referee threw it to me. And I opened it up and I made $27.50 for each night. So I had a I had a check for $81 for oh three days. <laughs> oh my. Do, do, do fans come every single time? Oh, God, yeah. You know, they had uh, Kansas City was more or less a grooming area for a lot of young guys. But, you know, you'd get the Br- Briscoes there mm-hmm. and the Funks there. So they'd have good talent there. And there, there was some good talent. And I, I wound up uh, tagging with a young kid from St. Joe, Missouri, named Mike George. Okay. And, and he was he was a very good amateur wrestler. And we hit it off very well and drew very well. We were the Central States Tag Team Champions. Oh, and, cool. you know, we beat the... Roger Kirby and uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. And, oh, yeah. And I remember um, I remember telling Vern, I called Vern, and I said, this was after about mm, six, seven weeks. I said, Vern, I says, you know, I'm, I'm starving down here. I, You know, I'm making, you know, 150 bucks a week. I said, my... My uh, my one bedroom efficiency is one hundred and forty five dollars, and I says, you know, I'm I'm eating hot dogs and eggs every day, 
and I'm down to less than a six pack of beer a day. And, and so he called Bob Geigel and then Bob Geigel pulled me around at this locker. And in this one time he says, Hey, he says, you work for me now. You don't work for Vern Gagne. I said, Bob, I said, listen, I said, Vern Gagne is my manager. I said, I just wanted to tell him the way things were. And I said, you know, I, I said, I can't make a living down here. And I said, if that's the case, I'm going to have to leave. Within the next week, I was making $500 a week. You know, no he, way. he bumped me right up because oh that's the way they were. They knew they, you know, a young kid like that, they could, you know, they could cheat. And then, I mean, yeah. Pro wrestling, Brad, is built on greed and deceit. Just remember really? that. It is. Okay. And that's the way it's always been. And that's the way it is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say this. Because the, like the promoters always get first count. And, and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have no idea, you know, what their expenses are. And, you know, it's just, it's a crapshoot. You know? Yeah, yeah. Did you, is Was there any other, like, trainers other than, you know, Vern in Minneapolis or is he he was the the well, only one there was a guy named Eddie Sharkey who mm -hmm. was was a, a sort of an independent he had a riff with Vern and he actually broke in a lot of guys he broke in the road wires and he he broke in oh gosh a couple other guys um can't think of them right now mm -hmm. but most of the main guys like you know Kurt Henning and and Larry Henning and Greg and myself and Cosro and Patera and Ricky Steamboat, you know, we're all broken in by Vern, you know. So, did and what, during the training camp, do you guys actually even go into a wrestling ring? Oh yeah, we were in a oh, ring okay. every every day. Okay, you know, was it and, ever like was it ever because like I was watching, I think it's the like the spectacular legacy of the AWA and. You know, guys are just doing squats. You know, mm -hmm. does anybody quit? You know, there was nobody in our. Uh, Rick Flair thought about quitting, but then Vern came up to him and slapped him in the face, and he says, "You ain't quitting." So he didn't. Oh my but god! We, but Brad, we used to have to do a thousand squats a day. We did ten sets of a hundred reps. And my legs were so big then it was, you know, and I had done squats before, you know, and I thought, yeah. well, and these just pumping your legs with that free squats, those Hindu squats, honest to God. And I, you know, I had like 37 inch vertical jump. So I, you know, I felt like I was a kangaroo. <laughs> oh my God. I imagine. So yeah. Did, um, so was, did everybody drop a ton of weight? You know, I, I, I think Flair, Flair started, he was about 295. Oh, wow. And I think he went down to about 265 mm -hmm. because we used to have to run to to start out the day. We ran like um, two miles. Okay. And, and uh, Patera was pretty muscly at about uh, three three twelve, and the rest of us were all about you know considering you know our college probably ten pounds, fifteen pounds heavier. Okay. But we all okay. we all held that extra muscle pretty well. So then when is the transition to like a match in front of an audience? Well, I had my first match at C September, October, November, December. Uh, it was in December. So, and I had it at a small town called Moorhead, Minnesota. And I wrestled a, another uh, university. Well, he was from Minnesota. His name was Dennis Stamp. Okay. And and he was an amateur wrestler, and we went 15 minute Broadway, and I came in and you know it was my first match. I didn't yeah. know what the hell I was doing, and we you know the, nobody got hurt everything, so it was a big success. But you know I come in the locker room and I was, I thought, gosh, that that match probably wasn't very good, and I kicked the on the garbage can, and I just said, <laughs> a bitch, and this and that, and then Dusty Rhodes came up to me and he said, Jimmy, he says. Don't act like a fool. He says, this is your first match. He says, you're going to have a lot of stinkers. <laughs> so he says, just learn from each one of them. And then he walked away. What does it mean? Like, cause I've heard that before, like that you didn't know anything going into your first match. Well, I did. I, you know, okay. they, they more or less smartened you up and they said, this is called a work, mm -hmm. you know, and we take care of each other. Your, your opponent will take care of you and you take care of him. 
you still stiff in the ring doing what you do. I mean, you know, everything. Yeah. I remember I had a match with um, when I was just leaving the uh, WWE and uh, Vince had me on with uh, Randy Savage. So we're on TV and you can look this up on YouTube. Okay. Randy Savage versus Jim, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. And in the very first beginning of the match, uh, he threw a headlock on me and I shot him off and I dropped down and I hit him right in the head with a drop kick and I yeah. split his lip open. He was spitting blood. Oh, God. And I thought, holy Jesus, here we go. Because <laughs> Randy was the type of guy that, you know, he was, you know, <laughs> but we had a hell of a match and, you know, it, it, it was. It was just like working with, you know, Bret Hart, you know, it was wonderful. And it was funny because I don't know if uh, Vince was uh, blowing smoke up our ass, but uh -huh. when we came through the ropes or through the uh, curtain, he said, fellas, he said, that was one of the best TV matches I've ever seen. He said, thank you. Oh, wow. oh, really? The thank you part is great. Yeah. He's never said thank you to me ever. Oh, <laughs> did, did, um, did you, and when you were in college um, and with Greg, did you guys talk about, you know, wrestling, like a tag team one day or no. one day you become, no, okay. Not at all. So you had no thoughts of, nope. uh, you know, tag team wrestling at that point? You were just, Nothing. you just. I had no idea. I, was, I, I want to be a football player, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I want to play pro football, you know? I thought, God dang, I can play pro football. I can, I'm just as good as anybody else. And yeah, yeah. I can jump and I can run and I could kick. And, um, you know, it just didn't work out, but it all worked out for the best. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you wrestled. Uh, oh, actually, I want to back up. Who told you you were ready for your first match? Does like Vern say, all right, you're ready? Or do you go and ask, say, hey. No, no, I Vern. Vern okay. made it. And, and I think it was a mutual uh, decision by him and Billy Robinson because we had okay. gone through the training. We, you know, the balance was very important to have balance in the ring. You know, mm -hmm. no cross over your legs, you know, because if you cross over your legs right away, it, it gives you way as not being a wrestler because if you cross over your legs, you're off balance. Somebody can, yeah, yeah. you know, boom, boom, boom. So everybody was really keenly aware of that. And, and Billy, when he'd work with you, if he saw you cross over your legs, he'd kick your legs out and boom, you, oh, go, right, you go right on your ass. So uh -huh. we all learned, you know, that they have balance and this and that. And, and you know, they, they did an excellent job. Every one of those guys, except for Bob Bruggers, because he was in a plane crash, Every one of those, you know, every one of the guys in the camp were huge success. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you look at Cosgrove camp, Ric Flair, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we all did very well. Did, um, did you, did you have, um, at the, so you're wrestling, um, you know, singles matches. Do you, at what point do you stop having to have a day job? Oh, I, I never had a day job. Oh, so, oh, so from training camp on? Yeah. Never. Oh wow, that's amazing! Yeah, was it was that a struggle though at first, like money? Well, it wasn't that much here because you know the first week I made six hundred and fifty bucks in the AWA, which you know that you know in nineteen seventy two that was pretty good money. Yeah, you know, yeah for a yeah. single kid, uh -huh. you know. And then I think my first year, Brad, I made uh, thirty five thousand dollars. Oh wow! And my friend who played with the Vikings and he was a starting safety, Jeff Wright, mm -hmm. he made uh, $33,000, but he wow. only worked, he only worked, you know, six yeah, months. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he had a lot of time off. Yeah. So were you, um, were you positioning yourself to, were you and Greg positioning yourselves to be a tag team, you know, after you've wrestled a bunch of singles matches, how did that transition happen? Well, I think that was more or less the the idea that uh, the program that uh, Vern wanted to do. Okay. Uh, because uh, both Greg and I were slighter bills. You know, I weighed about mm -hmm. 225 and Greg weighed about 200. Okay. So they decided, you know, they'd make us the high flyers, you know, because mm -hmm. I could jump and and uh, Greg could jump. And, you know, we did a lot of aerial stuff, you know, mm -hmm. head scissors and stuff like that. So it worked out good. And then the talent that was in the AWA, Brad, was exceptional. I mean, you had Nick Bockwinkle, Ray Stevens, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Bobby Heenan, uh, Wah uh, Wahoo McDaniels, uh, The Crusher, 
you know, it, it, it just goes on and on and on. You know, Mad Dog Vashon and Buddy Wolf. And it was is amazing. It, is it true that you could not um, be seen outside the ring with like heels and faces? Yeah, that was a good idea. I think uh -huh. that because Vern was very, very aware of the scrutiny by the fans. You know, and, and, you know, there, there was always this common thought that the fans thought, well, they're really friends, you know, they're really, yeah, yeah. They're really, and, and Vern just said, Hey, I don't want you guys ever associating with one another. And that's the way it was in all the territories. Okay. The only, the only territory that was not that way was the WWE. And that was in 1985. Yeah. Okay. They had Vincent care. You know, yeah. 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 You know, to save himself money from the taxation from the state of New York, he he told them that it was a, a work, so that we didn't ha he didn't have to pay the doggone tax. Oh, well, that was that was smart. Well, it was, but at the same time, you know, it sort of you know defeated. Yeah, know, yeah, it takes yeah. away the mystique. Yeah. Did uh, were you were you and Greg single at the time when you guys first started tagging yes. together? And traveling yeah. around. Yeah, I got married when I, in 1975, uh -huh. and then Greg got married, I think, in 1978. 78. Now, yeah. so so you guys had, you guys had like what you said a five year run, and then what was it? I was tired of being a tag team, and I thought, well, you know what, I I I, I knew <clears throat> that I was never going to be promoted as a single and have an opportunity. At a world Wait, championship. You know, like, why did you know that? Well, because I knew because I was cemented in with Greg. Greg and I were, you know, a huge tag team, mm -hmm. and you know, we were the champions, and and there was no sense breaking us up. Yeah, yeah. And there was no sense making a heel out of one of them because Greg would have had to bend the heel because he was naturally a heel. Yeah, yeah. You know, naturally, and and you know, Vern didn't want to have his son as a heel, <laughs> so. Uh -huh. What happened was I went to him and I said, you know, it's time. I got to go. I'm going to go by myself. So I went to North Carolina in 1979 and I was there for 18 months. Was there any and animosity? Like, did I you think so. About it? I think there was, but there was more anim animosity when I left for New York. Because when I came back um, in 1981 from, you know, the Mid-Atlantic in North Carolina yeah. And Greg and I uh, reunited, and we had the East-West connection. Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura. We just—that was the biggest year. I made almost eighty-five thousand wow. dollars. My in nineteen eighty-one, it was the biggest year I ever had. And we just were knocking them dead all over the place. And then finally, you know, Hulk came in in nineteen eighty-two in the AWA and just set the world on fire. I mean, you know, he was big, athletic, huge muscles, great guy, great talker. Uh -huh. And he just got over so great. And then Fern didn't want to give him the, the belt from Nick Bockwinkle. So he just kept on leading them on, leading them on, leading them on. And then Hulk said to hell with it. So he went to New York and uh, Vince's old man died. So Vince says, Hey, I'm going to take over the you know world. And what happened was he, sucked out all the talent, you know, from yeah. all the different, you know, there was 26 different territories, Brad. When do you first catch wind that they're, do, do they contact you? Well, here's what I did. I went to Vern and I said, Vern, you know, I said, things have been rough here. I said, I, I need to make X amount of dollars because I had opened up my own gym. I had jumping Jim Brunzel's, oh. you know, fitness. Mm -hmm. And you know, I needed extra money. And at that time, you know, my pay went really down because the, the houses weren't there. Mm -hmm. So I, I went up to Vern and I said, Vern, I says, here's the deal. I said, I need a personal guarantee by you for a contract and in order for me to stay here. And he says, well, how much? And I said, 95000 a year. And he says, you're not worth it. He says, go to New York. So I did. So did you guys... Did you guys end on a, a like a, a sour note? Yep. Was that hard conversation to have? No, because it you know it, it was financial. It, it, the whole thing yeah, was financial. True. I mean, you know, you're in a business, and if you want to make the most money in that business, you got to go where the money is, Brad. And it, I had to go to New York. So if I if Vern wasn't you know Greg's dad, would he left too? 
I think Greg would have if he would have been asked. Oh, you know? he, would he have left? You know, even you know, with Vern as his his father. He well, well, once he once they went bankrupt and they had to close their doors, he would have gone. You know, now, did was there like? Is there a notable difference, like either backstage or in the ring, going from AWA WWF? Yes, there was because first of all, when when you were in the AWA, you had like fourteen guys. They were all top guys, and they everybody knew their position. Everybody worked their ass off every night and had great matches. Then you come to New York. You had sixty guys. You had three towns running a night, and Vince didn't believe in any programs. He didn't believe in leading one match, you know, to another match yeah. and another match, and then you know, having a cage match or something like that. He just, he just shotgun everybody out there. And he says, Hey, these are WWE superstars, you know, take a look. And then, you know, he made a fortune selling. I remember Hulk Hogan uh, in 85 or 84, 85, 86, he was making $50,000 a week, Brad, just on merchandise. Oh my God. And is, was, is everybody like chomping at the bit to, you know, get on that train? Like with, Oh Yeah. There was, and 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 uh, this is sort of a sticky subject, but um, Brian and I realized that uh, we had action figures made by Vince, and yeah. it was a Killer Bees, and we were out probably the third edition, and some guys in the first and the second edition were getting you know ninety thousand dollars a quarter on their action figures because they were going like. Wildcats. Yeah, I remember when I literally, I'll tell you the story later. I bought just your figure. I remember it like it was yesterday, but go on. I'm sorry. So what had happened was uh, we finally got a check and it was $10,000 a piece. And I said, what? You know, all the other yeah. guys were getting 90 grand. And, and so I told Brian, I said, Brian, I says, when we, when we leave this place, I said, we're going to sue that son of a gun because I know he screwed us. Because we, I, I still have the contract today, the original contract that I signed with him, and we were supposed. This was considered outside revenue. We were supposed to get twenty five percent of the gross of outside wow. revenue. Brad, he paid us eight percent of the net. Oh my God! He owed everybody hundreds of thousands of dollars. So our lawyer said, "Here," he said, "If you want to sue him for the rest." It's going to cost you fifty thousand a piece for a retainer, oh, because it's hard dealing with him. Because you know he's got great lawyers, and mm -hmm. you know they they postpone everything. And I said, "The hell with it," you know. So yeah, yeah. But because of that, the fact that we sued him, Brian is very disappointed that we sued him because we we're never uh, you know in the WWE Hall of Fame, yeah, which we should have been. Bushwhackers are in, but you. Oh, I know. Aren't. Yeah, it's just. It's all, all just because of that. That's that's insane. Well, see, Vince never liked me, and and he 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 really didn't like Brian either. So did did he not like you even like when you first came in? Let me tell you that I the very first time I came in, I flew on a small plane from uh, New Laguardia. That's where okay. it was, Laguardia to uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. So we flew in there, and I came and. They wanted to do an interview with me. I didn't wrestle that night, but they wanted to do an interview with me. And, and Gene Oakland, who was a pal of mine from Minneapolis, sure. you know, for five years being with the AWA, we had a heck of an interview, but it was a babyface interview. You know, I'm not going to mm -hmm. be a braggadocia or nothing this. Yeah. So after we got done with the interview, as I walked away, I heard Vince said, oh, geez, we got another backland. Oh, God. So right away, I thought, oh, boy. Yeah. That, Is that like defeating, like, like or, you know, when you hear that? It's like, oh. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. So when did when did you and Brian first meet? Uh, we met, I think it was probably the end of June in 1985. And then oh, we, were okay. up, we were up in um, Canada, and they wanted us to form a name, you know, and be a tag team. Had you had any, had you caught wind of that? At all, well, like, I, I sort of heard that's what they were okay. going to do because they had so many guys on the single, you know, they only had so many single matches, yeah, and so yeah. they had to put you know, they had 60 guys and they had three towns running a night, so they had 20 guys in each town, Brad. Yeah, so, okay, 
what they did was they put, you know, Brian and I together. And then, you know, we had worked off of, while we're up in Canada and Billy Red Lions thought, well, you guys, you know, what are you going to call yourself? And then at that time, the Miami Dolphins had their defense were called the Killer Bees. Yes. Okay. Because they all the Bonacani, they had all the guys uh-huh. with all bees. So they said, we'll call it the Killer Bees, Brunzel and, and Blair. So it just so happened that Lanny Poffel, uh, <laughs> Savage's brother, Randy mm-hmm. Savage's brother, had bra- bought two new pair of black and yellow tights. So we bought them from him and we wore these black and yellow tights with our white boots uh-huh. and, and we became the killer bees. Did you, did you have any idea like how big you guys would get? Well, the, when they came with the idea about the mask, I mm-hmm. thought that that was ingenious because how many times does a baby face use a mask and do the same thing that a heel does, Yes, you know, to win a match. So, we were told we were going to get the belts and, you know, we were going to get them against uh, Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. And then it was the hearts and it never happened. You know, yeah. it, it just sort of deflated us because, you know, we thought, Hey, here we are. We got a hot, we got the hottest yeah. tag team gimmick. You know, we bought these Liberace jackets that were like $1,300 jackets, you know, with the sequins oh, and I still have mine. It's pretty Oh, cool. wow. Yeah, I wear it uh, once in a while with the mask. I wear it during Halloween when the kids come. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but, you know, it just it just didn't work out. And, you know, we, um, I'll say this, that we were there for three, our first three and a half years, we were there from 85 to almost 89. Mm-hmm. We averaged, and this is the truth, mm-hmm. 27 days a month we worked for three and a half years straight. And you're, but you're married during this period. Oh yeah, and and my wife held everything together. I mean, she did an excellent job with the kids. Honestly, God, I couldn't couldn't have done it without her. I mean, you know, I was gone all the time. Does that like does that stress you knowing your wife's home? She's dealing with you know the kids. Like, does did you uh, did you ever feel stressed? Like, oh, she's gonna get sick of this lifestyle with me on the road constantly. Well, not only was she dealing with that, but she was running our gym business at the same time. So oh my God. <laughs> she was, and then we had changed after a couple of years. Uh, we had turned my gym into a woman's only gym and we called it Ooh. Woman's World of Fitness, WWF. Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. And it went great. So, you know, it worked out good, but, you know, they, uh, you know, my kids, I, my, I was gone so much for my, my kids and, and it worked out exceptionally well. So did, I was really blessed in that that respect. Did Vince in like the mid 80s, 85, 86, 87, was he were they putting on shows in Minnesota or like that was Oh they did. Yeah. They, they did. Okay. They ran, you know, they ran Minneapolis mostly at the Target Center. They used to okay. run the uh, St. Paul Civic Center, but they they didn't you know run that much. And so because that's where the AWA used to run. So they they wrestled the Target Center and had a contract with them, but you know they they didn't do anything you know with us. Was that there. just to stick it to Vern, like running shows there? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and Vern was out of business by then, so. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, he was so out in '85. Like you guys had a, an amazing run. Did you think you were going to get the belts put on you? Sure, we did and- because they told us we were. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Both George Scott and uh, Pat Patterson and Vince said, yeah, we're going to put the belts on you. You know, it'll probably be with the Hart Foundation, you know, because uh-huh. we had some incredible matches sure. with them in the Garden, Boston Garden, uh, Montreal. Uh, it was just incredible. And then, you know, they never did it. So they it, it, it pissed off the fans and it pissed us off because – you know, you only can go around saying you're going to beat a team and then you do it once, twice, and you don't beat them, then they're not going to come around for a third time. You know, the fans are going to say, ah, they ain't going to win. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, what I was wondering about is, you know, they say that uh, the Rockers, that they, you know, Marty Gennetti and Shawn Michaels, they were doing combos and things like that. But you guys were doing that well before that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
you know, it's just, I, I'll tell you, to be honest with you, if you were in favor with Vince, you'd do well. If you weren't, you weren't. So that's the way it was. How do you, you know, how does, how would a wrestler fall out of favor uh, with him? Just question him. Oh, okay. Okay. Say, Hey, you know, I, I questioned him a couple times mm-hmm. and, and the thing that made it, <laughs> this is a, really a screwy story, but okay. when I, when I was leaving the AWA, Greg Gagne was, they were, uh, they had these dolls, these action figures, and it was the LJN. Mm-hmm. So they had the high flyers and I didn't even know this. It was Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne. Uh-huh. So when I get to New York, you know, it was about three or four months down the road. All of a sudden I get a call to go to see Vince. So I go to see Vince and he shows me a package of killer or a high flyer dolls with me and Greg. And he says, you're, you're working for me now, Jim. And I says, I said, Vince, I have no idea what Greg had did in this honestly gospel truth. He, he forged my name on the contract. So they would make the high, uh, you know, the high flyer. Dolls. Yeah. And consequently, they gave us $12,800 up front oh, and they sent my 12,800 to Vince. Cause I was under contract with him. Yeah. Yeah. So I sued Vince for the money. I said, that money's not yours. It's supposed to be mine. So I, I got the money. I, my lawyer won. And that, that was about the third pin in my voodoo doll. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, so you were like intimidated by him. Oh God. No, man. no. He, Cause yeah, he's got this mystique where like, yeah, you cross him. Like it's over. Well, you know, uh, nails, um, mm-hmm. almost beat the shit. Out. He did. He choked him out in green Bay and there's been a couple of guys, uh, Kevin Wachholz was his name. Uh-huh. And he had screwed uh, Kevin on a couple of different payoffs that he was working with. Uh, oh, what's his name? Mm, God, God, I'm trying to think of his name now. I got it. But he didn't pay him the same amount of money. The guy he was working with was getting like $500 more a match. And that's not right. Yeah. So <laughs> Kevin Wachholz went and said, hey, he said, are you going to pay me the money? You owe me the difference? And he said, no. And he said, okay. And he slapped a chokehold on him. And they came in and Vince's head was blue. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that was the, his, the last of his yeah. appearances. Well, so then Kevin Wachholz went and walked right out because I was the next in line to go talk to Vince. Oh, We're gee. at Green Bay. So Kevin goes in to the – they had a row of uh, a paid telephone uh-huh. Right there, he goes into the booth, dials nine one one, and he says, "I want to report a sexual attack by Vince McMahon on me." That's what he said. So he had everything figured, covered out. Oh my god, that's crazy. That's um, true. I know. I bet that it's just yeah. nuts. So when when you find out um, you guys are going to be at, at WrestleMania two, is that was that exciting? Did like well, you remember finding out that you were going to be on the card? In the in the battle royal, well, I, I think everybody was, you know. I mean, they, they didn't, you know, they, you know, actually, WrestleMania three was more meaningful because we had it's a tag match, mm-hmm. you know. And and the only thing bad about that was that, um, in that match against Sheik and Volkov, uh, even though they interfered a couple different times, mm-hmm. um. When they did interfere, in comes Jim Duggan and got us dis- disqualified. And we were supposed to be happy that Jim Duggan came in there and, you know, saved it. And I, I thought, what in the world? I mean, that's just goes to show you how goofy George Scott was, who was the yeah. booker at that time. I said, why would we be happy to get ourselves disqualified for having him come in the ring with the two by four? And just didn't make sense. What's the what's the what's the reasoning to promote Jim Duggan? That's, they didn't so care that about match him. was just to promote him. Exactly. Oh my god! I, I imagine that must have been really frustrating. Well, um, it was they had ninety three thousand some odd people in that in that uh, Silver Dome, and they paid us six weeks later, and we got ten grand. Hulk Hogan made a million. Uh, Andre made a million, and then they had a couple other people. I think Randy Savage made two hundred grand. 
Did and you all, think that was going to be your biggest payday? Oh God, yeah. I thought we were going to get fifty grand at least, you know, uh, because you know they had pay per view and you know ninety three thousand. Yeah. God Almighty, they yeah, you know it was about a thirty million dollar gate, you know, counting the pay per view, and they they paid, you know, diddly squat. Oh my! So like, what what do you do after? So six nothing. weeks later, you get this check. Is there is it? Can, there's nothing you, you can do. Events? No, yeah, there's nothing you can do. You're just happy you got ten grand. But is that something like you, you'll never, like at the time you're like, I'll never forget that he did this to me. Yeah, well, it was, you know, a screw job and, and everybody realized it. But, you know, it's the only game in town, Brad. Yeah, so what yeah. are you going to do? So at what point do you, in your career, do you start transitioning to like getting like the younger guys ready? What do you mean by that? Like, um, you know, that you're like a veteran, you know, you, you're on the downside i don't mean it like downside like you're not performing well but like well here's the deal here's the deal once they knew once brian and i realized that they were going to beat us on try to beat us on tv Mm -hmm. and beat us in the house shows with um oh gosh it was a tully blanchard and arn anderson Mm -hmm. and uh brian saw the handwriting on the wall so he just quit and I needed to work, you know, I needed yeah, yeah. to work because I had to, you know, keep feeding that doggone gym, you know, money <laughs> left and right. So Vince fired me three different times. And um, I wound up, you know, I was making, even when he did fire me, I was working part time and making almost 60 grand a year. And and that's not bad. But yeah. the only problem is I had to do jobs on TV. So here I was a world class, you know. World champions yeah. and my heavyweight champion, Atlanta heavyweight champion, mid-Atlantic champion, and two-time AWA champion. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, you know, I have to do a job for the guys that I did, you know, uh, and it hurt me. You know, it hurt my, you know, personality because, you know, I always worked hard yeah. and I and I thought maybe I didn't desire, I didn't mind if they, they won by disqualification or, you know, screwing yeah, me. Yeah. But I didn't want them to beat me one, two, three in the ring. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it doesn't serve the point. But see, that's that was Vince's way of going like this. Here, Jim Brunzel, this is what I'm going to do to you. And he did. But, you know, the, he was a boss and I went along with it. You know, I could have quit. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I you know, extended another couple years and then... Mm-hmm. Finally, I, um, you know, realized I was doing some independence and I had my last match on my 50th birthday. Oh, wow. And um, it was an indie match in Albert Lee, Minnesota against Jim Neidhart. Oh. And and he almost broke my neck. So I figured that's it. That that was the last match I ever had. Oh, did you, you, can you like, like not remember, uh, pinpoint like, the best match you've ever had, or is that just, too, there's just so many that. Well, I can, I can tell you the top three and, okay. and, and uh, one, uh, one was Nick Bockwinkle. I did three hour draws with him, which were exceptional. Wow. And then I did three hour draws with Ric Flair, which were exceptional. And I did three hour draws with Harley race, which were very good. And I did, um, Let's see. I did an hour with Jimmy Snuka, which was very good. But I'll have to say the matches that I enjoyed the most were uh, Bobby Heenan was involved, and it was Nick Bockwinkle, mm-hmm. Bob Orton Jr., who was an incredible worker, yeah, Bret Hart. And then also I wrestled uh, Ricky Steamboat in Japan a couple times, and he's a tremendous work. He's one of the top five you know he was yeah he was yeah great in the ring great in the ring just and a wonderful guy is 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 wrestling different in japan like as far as like fans well it is because there's not that much uh show it's more you know they beat the crap out of you i mean it's pretty physical over there and and mm-hmm. the, the crowd enjoys it they like to see that competition it's more competitive than it is here Okay. So when you go over there, you better, you know, make sure that your pants are on real tight because, they, you know, if they, they'll knock them off here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so uh, yeah. as you were, um, you know, ending WWE and you ended your, you know, career on your 50th birthday um, or when you were 50 years old, did 
when do you start making preparations for after wrestling? You had your gym still at the time. I closed the gym down because there, there was a group, there was a huge uh, cable company that came in and they, they bought up almost all the property and okay. they, they put about $8 million in it. And they, my, my rent went from, uh, 495 a square feet to 1495 a square feet. Oh my God. So I, I had 5,000 square feet in the gym. And I just, I told the guy, I said, Hey, it's not my fault that this, this company put that money in. I said, have him pay it. And he said, well, so I sued him uh-huh. and I won. So he let me out of the lease. And then I just closed her down and sold the equipment and walked away. Oh, did, um, had your kids seen you wrestle live? Uh, I, let's see, I think they might've seen me on TV, but okay, okay. We, my wife, you know, I wouldn't bring them to the match. I think we we're too young. You know, they, let's see, 40, 40, yeah, they were, you know, eight, nine years old and they saw on TV enough. And then, you know, they, they you know, their, their friends knew that I was a pro wrestler because yeah. I was on TV all the time. So, you know, they grew up with that and, and, and it was good. You know, I mean, nobody played any jokes on them. So, yeah, yeah. Did um was say were they impressed, or you're just dad? Well, I think I was just dad, you know, uh-huh. and and you know uh, we had a, a great relationship. You know, my my kids have been so successful, no problem at all, you know, and I I owe that to my wife because she did sure. such a great job, and you know my daughter has got a great job with the school district here, and my son is involved in film festivals all over the world. So oh, cool, you know, I've been very uh, blessed. Did um. Did your wife, um, was she happy when you ended your career? I think so. Relieved, rather? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think she was because, you know, I was taking a pretty good beating, you know. And and after, you know, after, you know, 25, 27 years, 28 years, your body takes a tremendous, especially your joints. You know, your joints yeah. are, all, are all full of calcium and, and uh, you just have... You know, it's hard. It, it's you, just you hard getting up. Oh God, yes, I I can barely walk. You know, I'm I get up in the morning and my uh, legs are numb from the knees down until I start walking around. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, it's it's just something. You know, I I I can only lift twenty pounds in each hand because these shoulders are screwed in. And if oh, I right. if I if I pull them out you know, out of the, pull the screws out. I'm shot because trying to do a, a reverse, you know, on your shoulders pretty hard. So yeah, it's pretty hard. So I, my weightlifting is really curtailed now. You know, I used to be yeah. an avid weightlifter. I mean, I, I worked my ass off in the gym and, you know, and now I, <laughs> you know, 20 pounds isn't much, yeah, but I, yeah. I do a lot of reps and, uh, you know, I try to keep the alcohol content down. Yeah. So what are you, what are you up to nowadays? Well, my wife and I just came back from a um, cruise uh, two nice. weeks in the uh, West Indies. We were down in uh, oh, St. Thomas, um, Dominica, oh. Granada and Bonaire and Carousel. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we were on this huge ship that had 5,000 people on it. And I ate and drank way too much, honestly. God. But it was it was beautiful. And then uh, we're going to go down to Siesta Key in Florida uh, in a couple weeks or a couple weeks after Christmas. And we stay down there a couple weeks. And we've been doing that for a couple of years. And then we come back. And you know, uh, my wife is an avid crafter. Okay. And um, I just you know I like this past weekend I went down to Louisville. And with Brian and, you know, you make, you know, a couple of grand, 1500, two grand signing autographs. And you do that once or twice a month. So that gives you some uh, spending money. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. Did, is, um, do you miss performing? No, not at all. No, no, I don't. I, I, you know, I had my time and I, I, I was successful and, uh, you know, the, the worst thing that happened to me in the ring is Greg, Han- uh, Greg Valentine broke my hand. And then the worst thing I did was I broke uh, Adnan L. Casey's leg. Oh God. Yeah. I, yeah. I broke could his- you, did you hear it? Oh, I did. Oh, God. and, and then he, and when I, 
after I pinned him, I looked down at him and he says, you dumb son of a bitch. You broke, he says, you broke my leg. And I started to laugh because <laughs> the way he said it, and then I, you know, covered my face. And yeah. He yeah. Was, he was supposed to work in the main event that coming week with Vern Gagne as a, as a you know, main event, but he couldn't. So, so is there heat on you at that point? No. no. Oh, okay, okay. What had happened was we had done this finish 10 times in a row uh -huh. and it was a finish where, he stopped me in a comeback and he went to throw me in. I leapfrogged him and then I came off the ropes and he went to backdrop me and I did a small package uh -huh. where you hook the head and then you shoot your leg in between his and you roll forward. So what does he do? I hook his leg. I got his head. And instead of rolling forward, he sits back. So I got his leg pinned and oh, all, no. all of a sudden I hear, you know, and it, it broke his uh, tibia. Oh, jeez. Crazy. But then he says, you dumb son of a bitch, you broke my leg. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that was it. Jim, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I, I this again, this is such a treat for me. I'm, well, you know, well, I'm, I'm hey, 46 Brad? years old. So I grew up, you know, I was in into wrestling. It was actually November 2nd, 1985 was the first time I ever started wrestling. And okay. you guys kept me hooked. Well, thank you. I want to tell you, you send me your uh, mailing address. And this is a book that I wrote. It's called Madlands. It's pretty good. And oh, wow. I, I, I didn't, I, all the words in here come from me. I didn't have a ghostwriter. And I've got 46 stories in here. Oh, and um, it's it's done well, real well. I sell it on uh, at a place online. It's called Blurb. B-L-U-R-B. Okay. And if you Punch, uh, punch and blurb. If you put Matlands, it'll go right to me. And I, I think the the cost of it now is twenty seven dollars. But um, it's done real well. And uh, uh, my wife edited it. It took me five years to write all the wow. all the um, photographs are in here. All my personal photographs. Oh, cool. So it's real good. So get me your address, and I'll sign you one. Oh, okay. absolutely. That would be fantastic. All right, Jim, I wish you nothing but health and happiness going forward. And really, thank you so much again for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Well, Brad, the third time was a charm. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. You have a wonderful Christmas. You do the same. Okay. Take care. Bye. See ya.